I'm Mike Vardy. Are you a small business owner struggling to find the right talent for your team? I've been there and I know how challenging it can be. That's why I recommend LinkedIn Jobs. It's not just any job board. It's a community where you can find professionals who are the perfect fit for your business, many of whom aren't checking other job sites. In fact, 70% of LinkedIn users aren't visiting other leading job sites, making LinkedIn your best bet for finding top talent. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can post your job and reach qualified candidates quickly. 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And now you can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation. That's right, for free. Don't miss out on finding top talent. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation today. Terms and conditions apply. Starting an online business or expanding your physical storefront online has never been easier thanks to Shopify. This global commerce platform supports you at every stage of your business journey. From launching your online shop to managing a million orders, Shopify is there to simplify and accelerate your growth. It's not just about selling products. Shopify helps you manage every aspect of your business with their all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. But that's not all. Shopify helps you convert visitors into customers with the best converting checkout process on the internet, which performs up to 36% better than other platforms. And now a special offer for my listeners. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash timecrafting, all lowercase. Whether you're just starting out or looking to scale up, Shopify is the perfect partner for your business. Managing passwords can be a real headache, right? Think about it. Every website requires a new password. Each one needs to be unique, secure, and somehow memorable. But there's a better way. Welcome to the world of 1Password, where your entire company can generate strong, unique passwords, store them securely, and access them across any device without ever needing a reset. Imagine never having to click Forgot Password again. With 1Password's award-winning design, managing passwords becomes a breeze for you and your entire team. It's trusted by millions, including top companies like IBM and Slack. Here's the best part. My listeners can try 1Password for free for two weeks. Right now, get your free trial at onepassword.com slash ProductiveConvo. Secure your passwords and simplify your online security with 1Password. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. And this is the Productivityist Podcast. When it comes to overlap, 
I know a little bit, but not as much as my guest this week, Sean McCabe. He wrote the book on overlap. In fact, it is called Overlap. I have my share of overlap in my life when it came to leaving Costco and yet still working there and, and mitigating my my, uh, my my leave so that I could still earn money for my family while building my online career. In fact, I had major overlap happening when I worked at the film festival and then ended up uh, working for Work Awesome in the Net Center in Envato during that time. So overlap is a thing that I definitely can get behind. I get behind this book as well. It's a fantastic read or listen, depending on what you're doing. And on this episode of the podcast, I talked to Sean McCabe about the idea of overlap. I talked to him about the idea of dedication, commitment, uh, you know, the idea of making more time, margin, uh, his planning, uh, you know, the idea of saying no, just a lot covered in this 30 minutes or so. So sit back, relax, and start to think maybe about your overlap as I have this conversation with my new friend, Sean McCabe, who we probably should have been friends sooner than this, but you'll hear more about that during this episode. This is Sean McCabe and I in conversation on the Productivityist podcast. I'd like to welcome Sean McCabe, better, probably better known as Sean West, to the Productivityist podcast. Sean, thanks for joining me today. Hey, thanks, Mike. Glad to be here. Yeah, the the whole Sean West versus Sean McCabe thing is kind of confusing. When I first got online, there were a lot of Sean McCabe's, believe it or not. It doesn't seem like a common name, but a lot of creative designer, photographer, illustrators named Sean McCabe, and I didn't want to compete. And so I just took my middle name, which is Wesley, and my first name and mashed it together. And that's where I came up with the brand name Sean West, even though my full name is Sean McCabe. Right. And it's, uh, I mean, the funny thing is, is there's a lot of people that, that started out when they started. And and this is interesting because when you start out, you, you don't quite know where, where it's going to take you, but you know, you just want to get going. And so you, do, you don't want to, you want to kind of stand out. You have definitely stood out. We talked about this before we, we uh, started recording. We've, I'm surprised we haven't crossed paths in terms of having to actually have a conversation uh, before now. I mean, we've traveled in similar circles. There's a lot. I mean, the Venn diagram is so perfectly aligned. It's like, wait a minute, we mm-hmm. should have we should have talked at some point in time. Um, but the start, like when you got started, and and you go over this in your book, overlap. You I mean you've you've had quite the journey. You are probably the the. I wouldn't say you're the 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 poster boy for that, you know, that graphic that says what success looks like, what success actually is, because I don't think you've had as many <laughs> squiggly lines as as a lot of other people. Um, I don't. Well, wanna... you know, you're talking about the whole, you know, success doesn't look like a straight line. Yeah, it's more yeah, like yeah, this, yeah, and yeah. it's a big spaghetti thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, so so tell me why you think that might not, because I mean, I followed your trajectory, and it seemed like you've had some. We were talking about this, of course, you're from San Antonio, we were talking about the Spurs and how they've had a couple of blips on the radar, but their trajectory has been fairly consistent and fairly upwardly mobile. Would you, and you said you kind of think that, I mean, you you would be, if you were a basketball team, you would be the Spurs, but that squiggly (laughs) line, is it less, I I would have seen more blips on the radar, but but describe me what you feel like in, in that regard. Well, uh, so, so the book that I just wrote, it's, it's coming out September 14th called Overlap. It opens up with my story. And honestly, it's the last chapter I wrote, which, uh, which is interesting because at first I was thinking, well, you know, maybe I'll, I'll tell people what overlapping looks like, which is how to start a business while you're working a full-time job. And then maybe I'll tell my story. And my editor said, you need to open up with your story. And I said, okay, I'll trust the editor. Uh, but it starts out with me, three uh, three stories 
uh, above the ground on, on this three-story roof, standing on a ladder on the part that says do not stand because I was a stupid teenager. <laughs> and uh, I'm reaching out as far as I can to wipe off the last few drops of this window uh, that I was cleaning because I worked at this window cleaning company. And you know, I was kind of starting to rethink my decisions up to that point, you know, as my partner is kind of like trying to steady this ladder at the edge of this three-story roof. And from there, you know, I, I was in a band, I repaired computers, I was building websites, I did hand lettering. I mean, it's just this random assortment of different things. And looking back, I can see all of the things that I picked up along the way that I, I learned that I still use today. But as I was going, man, it felt, it felt messy, that's for sure. So I want to talk to you a bit about dedication. And I mean, I want to dive into some parts of the book where you talk about time, because clearly that's in focus and things like that. But one of the things that I've always admired about you and your work is, is the idea of, of the commitment and the dedication you have to whatever it is you've been doing. So when you read the book, and I've had a chance to actually listen to you read the book, um, not, not, it's not like a bedtime story or anything like that. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> just listening to the audiobook. It's which is an great. audiobook just so everyone knows. <laughs> Sean just calls me up every night and goes, okay, Mike, <laughs> chapter three. Chapter. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, it's, it's really interesting because everything that you've done, the window, like it's, you've been, there's a dedication and a commitment. It's like this all or nothing. I just finished reading another book too, which is again, kind of a, a seismic, uh, almost like a polar opposite. Chris Jericho, the pro wrestler, has written a book called No is a Four-Letter Word. And it's like his self-help, you know, and he talks about like his his commitment, like there's an idea of committing. And you've, I mean, that's something that I've noticed in every aspect of your work. How important is is that idea of being dedicated, like really fully committed and dedicated to whatever it is that you're doing along along the journey that you have so that when you do, you know, have that that overlap happening, which to some people might sound like, well, wait a minute, you're doing like one thing halfway and then another thing halfway. How important is that dedication and commitment so that you can overlap effectively? Yeah, it's something we know is important and we want it. Everyone wants to be focused and and clear-minded and dedicated and committed. But what holds us back is a lack of clarity. We're scared to move forward because we don't know if the thing we're pursuing is the right thing to do. If we actually knew and if we felt conviction that it was the right thing, we could go all in. But we lack clarity. It's, not, it's, really, it's really that. It comes down to clarity. It's not that you need, I know we're going to talk more about time. It's not that you need more time. It's that you need more focus because focus enables you to make that time. And I think if you want to be dedicated, if you want to be committed, you need to be fully certain that what you're doing is the right thing to be doing. Because when you're saying yes to something, you're saying no to many, many other things. Yes is the most expensive word in the English language, and we treat it like it's nothing. It, it, is, it is an expensive word because everything you say yes to is a thousand no's. You can't do multiple things at once. I mean, you, you can try, but really there's no such thing as multitasking. It's, it's quick switching of, mm -hmm. of things that we're doing, right? So, so it's a matter of focusing on the right thing, but the hard thing is figuring out what that is. We're afraid of choosing the wrong thing. We, we, it's like imagining you're, you're in your office, you're sitting in your office chair, you spin around in your office chair, you, you feel like 
there are 360 degrees of options around you. You could go in any direction. You have many passions. You've got many project ideas, things you want to do. But what if you go in the wrong direction? What if you choose the wrong thing? And, and we feel paralyzed by that. And so, yeah, you know, maybe we have it within us to commit and to dedicate ourselves to something, but we don't feel clarity. We're not sure that the next thing is the right thing, is the thing that we're supposed to be doing. I really like to think of it more like the starting line at the beginning of a race with, with a white line painted on the asphalt and all of the arrows point forward. So rather than this 360 degree circle with the arrows pointing out in all different directions, every arrow points forward. It doesn't matter which one you pick. The next step is forward progress because, okay, let's say you pick the wrong thing and I'm putting wrong in, in air quotes, the wrong thing. Once you discover that it's the wrong thing, it's going to lead you to the next thing. And if you don't believe me, if you look back on your, your past, the jobs you've done, the people you've worked with, the projects you've taken on, you've learned things. Even in those jobs that you hated, you ended up quitting, you moved on from it, you no longer love it. You picked up things along the way and it led you to the next thing. A an idea you got somewhere or a part of a job that you enjoyed helped enable you to find the next thing that worked for you. And what what's uh, what's cool about what you're talking about right now is that in the book, you, you have a quote, and it, I'm going to paraphrase, but no, think of no as a direction rather than an emotion, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. So like, no, no is this word that we feel like is a negative word. Cause you like, feel like yeah. you're going to be a jerk if you say no, like, you know what I mean? A lot right. of people really struggle. Like I, you, you, you know, it's funny because I, I think about like protecting the investment of time, right? Because that is the most valuable resource that you have and you should protect your investments, right? It's just like protecting money. You need to protect your investment. You're, you know, whether, um, you know, whether you are, uh, you know, when you're investing money, you're going to say, okay, um, how much am I going to put in high risk? How much am I going to put low risk? Like, where am I going to, where does this all fit? Time fits in the same area, but we tend to treat time in a completely different way. And saying no allows you to protect your investments that you like the ones that you're thinking, those long-term ones, but we tend to, and I'm, I'm guilty of this just as much as anybody else. We tend to like couple that, that word with the emotional, you know, feeling that we get when we say no, uh, in the moment, because I know I've said, and Sean, I'm sure you have too, I've said no in the moment before, and then I felt crappy initially, but then they're like, oh, you know what? That was good. That was good. So, I mean, dive into that a little bit, unpack that a bit more. Yeah, there's a, you're absolutely right. First of all, yes fills time and no makes time. No is the only tool, this two-letter word that you have for creating more time. And sometimes when you say no, you, you, you feel bad, like, oh, I'm, I'm being negative to this person. And there's this little feeling uh, at, at first. And then, you know, later there's this freedom, but we don't actually recognize it all the time. It's, it's when we say yes and regret it, that it really comes back to bite us because now you're committed. Now you're stuck in something that you no longer want to do. And we tend to see these words, yes and no, emotionally, like yes is good. No is bad. Yes is happy. No is sad. And really those words aren't emotional. They're directional. And if you can learn to see them objectively, these two words, yes and no, can help you navigate your life and get to where you want to go. It's not good and bad. It's more like left and right. 
You know, as far as you were as you were talking about this, I quickly doodled the word no. You'd be proud of me, the lettering thing. And I put an upward arrow on the last uh, the last uh, upwardly <laughs> mobile line in no, because it tends to move you forward. If you use the word no, uh, for me at least, in the right way, it's going to move you closer to the things you really want to be doing as opposed to saying yes, which tends to move you. The, well, the, the why in yes is like a fork of the road, right? Like you're going to move in multiple directions. I don't know. How did you get into lettering? Like, I mean, you talk about this in the book and, and is it something that still is, I mean, you, you, I know you, 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 you dedicate a lot of time to it back to that dedication component, but is it something that you still, you know, still find joy in and that you still spend time doing? Cause I know you've got a lot of other irons in the fire at this point. Yeah, very true. So I am actually not focused on lettering right now. At one point, for those that don't know, hand lettering is when you're drawing letters by hand, usually like a quote or a design. If you think of like the Coca-Cola logo, it's not a font. It's something that was made custom. It was drawn by hand. And I was very into hand lettering. I used to do it in middle school, uh, later ended up doing it just on the side while I had a day job kind of this whole idea of overlapping, even though I, I never thought hand lettering could be a job. I never thought it could ever bring in money, but I was just doing it because it, it was a fun thing for me. And I, I ended up spending about 9,000 hours practicing hand lettering over the course of uh, quite a number of years. And it it did actually become my full-time job at one point. But at this time, uh, you know, wh- when I look back on that, I noticed that there are three ways that I was able to make money doing hand lettering. And it it boils down to, I call it the trifecta, client work, products, and teaching. And so if you've got this thing that you want to do full time and you're wondering, I don't know how I could ever do that. You, you know, you got the day job that's paying the bills, but it's not something you're super passionate about. You want to do something else, but you have no idea how in the world you could support yourself. And typically we, we look at a job we did at one point, maybe someone paid you 50 bucks or you know, someone gave you $100 because you did a project for them. And we did a one odd job at some point and we do a little bit of basic math in our minds and we look at our monthly bills and we figure, wow, I'm gonna have to do dozens or hundreds of those jobs to be able to support myself. And really it's, it's not that you have to do dozens or hundreds of one job, you talk to anyone who's successful and they have diversified sources of income. And it's, it's, it's this kind of threefold cord that gives a much more stable uh, source of reliable income for someone who is self-employed than what you might otherwise believe before you've, you've started your own business. Let's, let's talk about that idea of, of, you know, the trifecta. And I, one of the things I've, you know, I've, I've been exploring it more and more with, I've got products, I've got all, you know, I, I coach, I do, you know, I'm getting more into teaching by building courses, but it's that time component that a lot of people struggle with. And one of the chapters in your book, chapter 10, make more time. It's in part three of the book. The book's divided up into, into parts and, and chapter 10, you talk about the idea of margin. And first off, that term is not new to a lot of people that listen to the show. But dive into what your, not only what your thoughts are, what your idea of margin is, but how you are able to, quote, make margin happen for you. So this is a little bit of like an insider thing. I actually ended up not including this in the Overlap book just because it's so involved. I've decided Ah. to dedicate 
an entire book to it. So that will probably be my next book called Sabbatical. So, so, and, uh, so this is an exclusive then, really, at this point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, you're right. It is very intense. There is a lot to it. There's a lot to unpack. So w- dive in as much as you can without, uh, without you know, w- so I can pull you back out. <laughs> sure, sure thing. So I am very much an all on or all off kind of guy. Like if I'm going to do it, I'm going all in. And I pretty much worked 18 hour days, seven days a week for 11 years. And I love my work, but I was heading towards burnout. And I actually, uh, I actually did hit the point of burnout and I didn't even realize it until six months after, like I was, it was that bad. And I, I wanted a way to prevent that from happening in the future. And the only way I knew how to do that just because of my personality type was to go all in on a break. And I didn't know exactly what that would look like, but I'd heard of people taking off uh, a seventh year as a sabbatical year. and. Uh, I, I was thinking, well, that's a little bit excessive, but what about something like a smaller scale sabbatical? And just on a whim, I decided I'm going to try this. I, I made a commitment. I told people I was going to do it and document it. And so back in 2014, I started taking off every seventh week. And so I'd work six weeks and I'd take off a week. just just all in and then all off. And I eventually started hiring people for the team and at first was thinking, well, how do I make sure they're working while I'm on my break? (laughs) But I realized, you know, what? I believe in this concept. And uh, just as a spoiler, we, we now we've been doing this for a number of years. I pay everyone on the team to take off every seventh week. And the crazy part is I did extend it to paying everyone to take off every seventh year. Yeah. So my vision, I heard heard you talk about that on your podcast too. You've talked about, I mean, I've read the small sabbatical piece, which we'll link to for sure, but I heard you talk about the podcast. That's impressive. My vision is within 30 years, every company in the world will offer paid sabbaticals for all of their employees. That's my vision. That's my mission. I'd like that. (laughs) <laughs> and I run my own company. Maybe I should, once I, once I get to the point where I could, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a challenge though, right? Like, so how do you structure those so that, cause a lot of people would be hesitant because they're like, well, wait a minute, what do you do? Like, what do you do during that sabbatical? Do you just not, mm-hmm. do you just, mm-hmm. just, you know, check out like what happens during that time? Oh man. Yeah. I get, I'm really passionate about this. So like for context, I wrote the overlap book in July of 2016 and I've been, you know, working on it, writing about it, promoting it. And, and it's finally 13 months later about to launch. And so I've been about that for a full year. But honestly, like mentally, like I can't really, <laughs> this kind of goes back to the curation thing, which I, I would love to touch on. But mm-hmm. I, I can't talk about everything that I'm doing because if I talk about everything, people will remember nothing. Yeah. But behind the scenes, I, I really am excited to dive into the sabbatical stuff because I really do feel like this is going to be a whole book, but to, to do your question justice, I've narrowed it down to, uh, sabbaticals. I've narrowed it down to rest sabbaticals. There's three kinds that I found rest, travel, and project sabbaticals. And the one rule I'll say is the only rule for sabbaticals is you, you can't schedule things for the sabbatical. The sabbatical itself, because here's the thing, you look at your calendar when you have an open availability and someone says, hey, are you available? You look at your calendar, there's no appointments. You say, yes, you default to, yes, I am available. My calendar has nothing, therefore I am available. 
And what I encourage people to do is schedule margin, even go so far as to create another calendar. Like, you know, you might have a calendar for yourself and your wife and your team, create another calendar called margin, you know, make it, make it yellow for margarine or whatever funny thing makes you uh, remember that it's important and schedule a block on your margin calendar that recurs. So you are scheduling a block of, it, it would be nothing except that we're saying this is a thing. This is margin, right? And that means this is a time that I'm setting aside for the sole purpose of having margin. That means I am not available during that time. I am setting myself up to have the freedom to say yes to anything or the freedom to say no. Maybe I, I when I get to that point, I'm so exhausted, I just want to rest. I just want to do nothing. Maybe I'll read a book. Maybe I'll watch a documentary. Maybe I'll go on a walk. Who knows? But I, I can say yes to anything. So the, the only rule I have is that you don't give yourself obligations on the sabbatical. It's specifically time set aside. And uh, on one of the bonus episodes for this podcast exclusive to, to members, I'm going to talk about, I want to dive a little bit more into the sabbatical part because I know you want to a little bit, but I also yes. want to make sure. <laughs> Let's talk about planning um, because this, this does relate right into it. Um, you know, listening to the book, knowing how you work with margin. And I mean, and, and anyone who's followed my work knows I talk about theming your time and there's definitely some alignment there. How far ahead do you plan? Because I think a lot of people, uh, especially since I start my year in September, so I'm 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 not a, a traditionalist when it comes to following the Gregorian calendar. I just I find that starting January first is not the best time for me. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to like planning, I know there's people who love to plan really far ahead, like and and have that structure in place. And then there are others that are 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 hesitant to go beyond let's say four weeks or six weeks or even two weeks because they don't know they they don't know what they will have time for or what they would like to make time for but how far ahead in order for you to do the things you're doing how far ahead do you plan i think it's it depends on the type of things you want to accomplish and it depends on the type of person you are i think some people default to short term and some people default to long-term. When I was growing up, I was not even aware that there, there was such a thing as a type of person who defaults to long-term thinking, which is actually me. But the message I always got growing up is think about tomorrow. Make sure your actions are considering the fact that there is a tomorrow. You don't want to just make short-term instant gratification-based decisions. And so I always operated under this assumption that long-term thinking equals good. Just the end. Long-term equals good, short-term equals bad. And because I'm naturally inclined towards long-term thinking, that's how I operated. And the problem with that is while long-term thinking is good, if you ignore the short-term, it's bad. And just to give like a, a tangible illustration, if you're a farmer and you rent a field, in which you are planting some kind of seed that you wish to reap a harvest next year. Well, you need to rent the field long enough to see the harvest. If you don't have a way to pay rent in the meantime until you get to the point of reaping the harvest, you lose. You lose the field. You don't get the harvest. And so here I was, long game, long game, long game. And really, I was running the business. I was running myself 
into the ground by not covering my short term. Short term could look like payroll. It could look like cash flow. It could look like cash reserves or a runway in the bank. It could look like exercise for yourself. It could look like sleep. But you do have to cover that short term. As a good friend told me, you have to earn the right to play the long game. So for me, it's it's this tension. My default, my mind, where I live mentally is about five years, even 10 years into the future. And I'm planning things for 20 years. I'm planning things for 30 years. I feel like this year is already gone. Next year is yesterday. Like that's, this right. is where I operate. And I'm constantly having to rein myself back, pull myself back. So to answer your question, I have specific goals, like the 30 year goal of getting people to do sabbaticals for their companies. I, I am going to take off the year 2020. That's already planned. I, I, I know certain things I'm doing in 2018, 2019, 2020, 21, 20, 22. Um, but those aren't necessarily all actionable. Like they're, they're milestones, they're, they're goalposts. In the meantime, we do like as a team and personally, I do have sprints that are, uh, I mean, naturally because of our sabbatical pattern, we have natural sprints that occur every seven weeks because we get seven weeks worth of done in six weeks and then we rest. And so it's kind of like a built-in deadline, you know, where it's like a spike of productivity. You got to get the work done for me as a, a chronic procrastinator. You know, I would always wait until the last minute on things. And so when I see my year broken up into these seven week sprints, it, it allows me to get things done rather than thinking, oh, I've got another 50 weeks. You know, that brings up another question that, that I find that a lot of people, especially people that are, that are productive, that are creating things is that, I mean, David Allen's talked about this, that he is famously lazy. That's one of the things, that's one of the reasons why he created getting things done, that his methodology. Totally. you I mean, I, I'm not suggesting you're lazy because that would be, <laughs> but you procrastinate. I think mm -hmm. we all are prone to that. Is that one of the primary reasons why you have things like focus blocks that you talk about and you schedule margin? Like it, it, you, you, you are aware enough. You have that clarity of, 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 of self-awareness to know that if I don't do this, like you just talked about that, that things just won't get done. What do you suggest to people when they are, when, when they're feeling the same way, when they're, when they procrastinate, but they don't have anything in place to kind of help them with that? What, what do you suggest to them so that they can, you know, you know, push past the procrastination, actually push towards progress? Yeah, I had to put systems in place just to fight my default nature. Mm -hmm. So knowing that I procrastinate, I, I would, <laughs> I had piano lessons, uh, I had about seven years of theory intensive piano lessons over the course of a decade. And oftentimes I would play throughout the week because I enjoy playing piano, but there are very technical specific things I'm supposed to practice for my lessons. And I would wait until the day of my lesson. And my teacher would, you know, she'd nod and smile and, and compliment, compliment me on the things I did well, but she always knew. She, she said, you, Sean, you play very, very well. But she always knew. She said, if, if only you practice more, if only you practice every day. And I would wait. I would wait until the last moment. The same with school papers. I'd, yeah. I'd give three weeks and I'd work on it all night the night before, just waiting until the last moment. And so I can either just feel bad about myself or I can build a system around my, my default nature. So for me, 
deadlines are the only way I get things done. I have to get my back against the wall and I make myself accountable. I, I, I think of, I call it the three P's of accountability, public accountability, partner accountability, and personal accountability. So public is where you're telling people you're, you're making a, a proclamation to the world that you are going to do this thing. And some, some of these forms work better for some people than others. But the idea there is that if you don't follow through, your reputation takes a hit. And we don't want to look bad in front of people. We don't want to appear inconsistent because it's not a desirable trait. So usually we are more likely to follow through. You back that up with a partner accountability. This is a peer. So not a mentor or a coach, someone on the same level, someone with similar goals and aspirations. They're holding you accountable, keeping you uh, on track with your commitments. And then finally, there's personal accountability, which sounds weird because usually we don't, we don't mind disappointing ourselves. We say we're going to wake up early and then we don't because we don't mind disappointing ourselves. But when you pair that with these other two forms of accountability and you also tell yourself, I'm going to do this thing, you're going to follow through because of the other forms of accountability. And when you do, you strengthen that personal accountability such that in the future, you're going to be more likely to follow through with something when you tell yourself you're going to do it. You know, Sean, before we wrap up, I know you want to talk about curation. And since this is the coming to the end of the episode, I want to make sure that we get that in. So what, what, what fascinates you about curation? What are your, I mean, I'm a, I'm, I like to curate. I mean, I think that's part of what we need to do with all the ideas that I have. And I know you touch on this on this in your book. There's only so many things you can pursue. And I want to make sure that I, you know, I curate. What are your thoughts on that? So first, let's define what we mean by the word curate. Right. When I'm saying curate what you share, I mean selectively project a single focused thing. So this is a very intentional decision to project only one thing. And why would we do that? Because we're interesting people. You know, we, we have many interests and passions. Why would we only project one? Well, Dunbar's number says that we really can only process about 150 close relationships. And beyond that, interactions are usually surface level. This doesn't mean you can't follow more than 150 people on Twitter. It just means you can't process their intricacies, their, their complexities and their details. And so when you project everything that you're about, you, you create noise. Noise is something that we tune out. It's something we actively concentrate against. You can be known for one thing or you can be known for nothing. Now that sounds really harsh and I want to break that down real quick because it's like, well, well, I know someone who's known for more than one thing. And, and that's true. There, there is an exception and you can eventually become known for more than one thing. But people can't process your awesomeness. There's too much to you. And they're, they're going to put you in a box. This is what we have to do just to survive, just to avoid the mental overwhelm. It's, it's not anything we can avoid. You're going to be put in a box and there's nothing you can do about it. We all do it. We put people in boxes and we say, oh, you know, this is what she's about. This is what he's about. He's, he's that guy, you know, she's that girl. And we put people in boxes. We have to simplify them out of just pure survival instinct. So you can't avoid being put in a box, but what you can do is define the kind of box you're already going to be put in. And the way you define that box 
is by curating what you share. If you think of like a magazine that you subscribe to, why would you subscribe to a magazine? Well, you want more of the same. You want more of the same content. And when people are considering following you, subscribing to you, paying attention to you, they're asking themselves this question, what can I expect? And the way they know the answer to that is based on your track record. It's based on your feed. It's based on your grid or your regular and consistent output. They're looking to your output to answer this question of what can I expect? And if that output contains everything that this is a, this is a novel idea for some people, Mike, but you don't actually have to share everything that you think and do online. It's it. Yeah. (laughs) You don't. A lot of people do though, right? Like, uh, and it's hard. It's hard to kind of, a a lot of people don't know where to begin and where to end. And I think that that's important to spend some time and think about that like you have. Um, You know, as we wrap up here, I want to make sure that people have a chance to get the new book, um, Overlap. I've had a chance to uh, listen to the audio book. Uh, I know there's, I know I've got a, there's the the hardcover, right? Like tell us a little bit about the hardcover of the book, because I'm a big paper book guy. Like, uh, I, you know, I mean, my, I had, I purposely in my office had the, the library, uh, you know, put in like shelves put in so I could have a built in library. What, what is the, what is the, what does the hardcover kind of look like? Cause didn't you just get them? You just said you got yeah, them today. I, I'm so glad you, <laughs> you asked about this. They just came in this morning. And again, this has been over a, a year in the making. And I always are, knew are you I going wanted... to sh- Are you going to share an unboxing video back to the curation thing? Or are you just going to like, no, no, I'm going to hold this back. Like, <laughs> No, I, I really, I really should. And, and just so people know, if you're feeling overwhelmed by that, if you're feeling stuck and you don't know what one thing you want to pursue, how could you ever narrow that down? How can you choose what you want to be known for? How can, how can you eventually become known for multiple things? Uh, th- those are all things that we dive into inside the book. But I, I knew with this book, the way that I wrote it is in a timeless way. I, I wanted to, to write a principle-driven book. It's not based on current trends current news, current technology. This is a timeless book that will remain relevant for 30, 50, 100 years into the future. This is what I was considering as I was writing this book. I I specifically don't mention current technologies because I I don't want those type of things or, or news stories or things like that to pull people out of these principles. It's, it's a timeless book that will remain relevant. And I knew I wanted the physical properties of the book to reflect the timeless principles inside. So I wanted to create a timeless book. And this hardcover, cloth-bound, foil-stamped book, it's a, it's a blue book. It's, it's very, very simple, clean, straightforward. I don't even know that necessarily you would grab this off of the shelf at your local bookstore. It just says overlap. And it has a, a little icon here with a couple, you know, overlapping shapes. It's very simple, but it's it's beautiful. And the quality of the materials and the binding and the paper, it, it's it's a heavy book. And I feel like it reflects the the weight of the words inside. And so I'm just I'm very excited for people to get this in their hands to to feel the texture of it. You know, um, our mutual friend, Justin Jackson, and I were in a local bookstore here in Victoria, Monroe's Books, when he was here recently. It's a, Monroe's is one of the books that, bookstores that was listed in National Geographic is one of the most beautiful in the world. 
And one of the things that, I mean, other than going in there and checking out, you know, just what what's available, is I love seeing books like El Luna's The Crossroads Between Should and Must, like just the way that's crafted. And I love to see the way books are put together. Can't wait to get my hands on this. And 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 you know, the book is coming out September 14th, and there's a lot, there's a lot more to it than that. You know, there's there's the book, there's the audio book, right? Um, and then there's there's other things that you can get with the book as well, right? Like there's 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 a lot more to it than that. Can you share that a little yeah. bit before we wrap up? Yeah, you know, um, this is something we've been working on a, for over a year now behind the scenes that we haven't told anyone about because it almost didn't happen. And that's that we've been making a documentary about this book. And and the documentary is is called How to Write a Book, and it but it basically takes you behind the scenes of what went into the writing of this book. And it was actually a documentary that my brother wanted to make, and I I, I just gave him full free reign. Uh, he filmed me while I wrote this book. He filmed me over the course of a year. Has interviewed me, interviewed my parents and, and people around me, and. He, he was very fascinated by this story and the process that went into it and why the book matters. And that's something that I'm, re- I'm really excited to share. Uh, on September 7th, uh, we're going to be releasing that just ahead of the book launch. But yeah, every, every aspect of this book has been considered. I, I've always thought that the book is going to be defined by its weakest link. And so we didn't cut corners anywhere with, with the material, the typesetting, the design, the quality. Um, the same with the audiobook. It's an ebook. It's an audiobook. We we recorded the audiobook. We we edited it three times, matching the timings of every sentence, comma, paragraph, section title. It's it's all just precise because I told my team as we went through this, this book needs to be timeless. It needs to last for a hundred years and beyond. And we, we did something really cool with the audiobook where when you get it, we give you a link. It's a feed link that you can drop in your podcast app. So whatever you're listening to this episode on, you drop a link and instantly you have the entire book there with all of the chapters. You don't have to worry about syncing or MP3s and all of that. It's just immediately ready to go. And we keep hearing from people, this is how all audiobooks should be delivered. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, uh, I've not had an uh, audiobook delivered to me this way before. Um, it's great. I threw it into overcast and boom, it was right there. And the great thing is, is that you could stream it when, like, I mean, the way overcast works, I could stream certain ones. If I want, I can pause, I can get to see where each it's, it's, it's really well done. Um, Sean, this has been, this has been absolutely great to connect with you. I can't wait to see you and Ryan holiday chat about perennial sellers and building something that's timeless at Jeff Goins' tribe conference. Cause Ryan's going to be there too. I, I oh, love man, I, that's going to be great. <laughs> I want to be in the room. I know that there's the, uh, Jeff's got the, uh, I, uh, I'm going to the, uh, I paid for the higher level ticket just so I could see conversations like that and hang out with some of the friends that I've m- made over the years. And it's finally, uh, I mean, I'm so glad that we were able to finally connect and uh, hopefully establish a long-term uh, connection uh, as well. Um, Sean, that's going to be such a good time. Yeah. Thank, thank you so much, Mike. And, and so people, uh, I've got the link in the show notes. You can get the book. Um, it's available as of September 14th. So depending on when you're listening to this, uh, you may be able to already get it. So Sean, thanks for joining me this week on the Productivities Podcast. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much to Sean for joining me on this episode of the show. You can check out his book, go to productivityist.com slash overlap, and you can get 
all of the details on the audiobook, on the documentary, on the book itself. There's just so many cool things there. Uh, and again, I'm a big, big fan of Sean's work. Have been for a long time, and I really enjoyed this book. So check it out. Go to productivityist.com slash overlap, and you can get your copy today. Uh Big thanks to John Polstra for producing this show. There was a lot here, a lot of meat that he had to go through. A big thanks to all my team for putting together all the nuts and bolts of the show in terms of the interview arranging and 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 uh, the editing of the, the text and all that stuff. Big thanks to them. I've been delegating a lot more of that stuff to my team as of late. And big thanks to all the people who are supporting the show through our Patreon. If you head over to patreon.com slash productivityist, you can learn more about that and how you can become a supporter of the show as well. And there's more to come with Patreon in the coming months. So I I definitely think you should check that out. Uh, That's it for this week's episode. Thanks again to Sean McCabe for joining me. Thanks to you for listening. And until next time, this is Mike Vardy of Productivityist reminding you to stop guessing and start going.